0: Because we are now meeting online, Uh, for at least the temporary few weeks, however long the province keeps these restrictions in place. You're probably wondering, seeing as how it's the end of the year, how do I give then? Well, same as we did before. So you can give online through our website. That's PayPal, the secure portal, or you can do it via e-transfer at e-transfer at citypointchurch.ca. If you do that, just let me know what your password is. Uh, Our bank has security features, so you have to use a password when you send it uh, to us. And you can also use uh, uh, the old-fashioned way, checks or cash. You'll have to make arrangements with me so that that can be picked up, but we can do that for you as well, all right? So uh, today we're going to continue our series and keep going with this idea of what Jesus believed. And there's so many things when you just read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you approach them from the perspective of a question. And the question we're asking here is, what did Jesus believe about a given subject? And it's amazing what you find when you approach the Bible with a question. And what you've got to do when you do that is you have to be open to what the answer is going to be. Uh, When you're asking the Bible a question, we call that interrogating the text. And when we interrogate the text, we want to be open to what the text will say back to us. We can't go to it and try and find something that we want or read something into it that we want to see. But we have to say, God, I have this question. What is your answer? And I'm willing to accept whatever you say. And so in today's message, we're going to talk about our thoughts and what Jesus believed about what's going on up here. Uh, A question for you, and we'll put this on the screen, what a Christmas it has been, right? I mean, now we're in the 10,000 region of positive cases for the uh, uh, SARS-CoV-2 virus, and uh in the coronavirus uh, disease and all of, you know we're 10,000 and so it's been this odd time uh I'm curious How was your Christmas? Why don't you post a a comment there and we can put it on the screen. Was it really quiet? Was it really busy? Was it a lot of fun that it was quiet or was it a lot of fun that it was busy? Did you have some good food? Did you have any family? What was it like for you? Did you get a nice present? Did you not get any presents at all? Are you a Scrooge? Are you a, a Grinch or are you, you know, somewhere in between or what was your christmas like i asked this question because what we're thinking right now and what's going on in the minds of people today is what you'll see on your screen next there there's anxiety and worry and trouble and discouragement i mean we thought we were getting out of it and now we're thrown back into it and They closed the movie theater on Monday with four hours' notice, laid the staff off, and boom, it just just like that and it and you know cases on the rise and people are running around looking for PCR tests and rapid uh, uh, test kits and and lineups of cars and people waiting for hours and this level of anxiety moving into two years of this thing it's of great great concern and we're starting to see this mental stress of the last couple of years, and we're starting to see it's come to a critical moment. And uh, people are starting to snap, and we see uh, violent crime is on the rise. We see theft is on the rise. I mean, inflation, we're paying $10 for three avocados at the store, you know? The gas is a dollar fifty a liter, and it's like people are starting to snap. Because the anxiety level and the stress level and the things going on in our heads are just, it's to sustain this kind of thing for two years. We're not used to it. Uh, for sure, it's not the first time in human history that we face something like this. I mean, we faced a lot worse. But this generation, we haven't seen anything like this. You know, you talk about uh, maybe the Second World War, and there are people who are watching this who, who lived through that. Uh, probably there's a handful that are, but y- y- this is an unusual thing for us. It's been a 100 years since there was a pandemic uh, of this nature. And the last one was of even worse proportion. But the stress levels, you can see it in the culture and you can see it in people and people are starting to pop. And it's of great concern. So when you look into the scripture, you say, well, what did Jesus think about this? What did Jesus believe about what we think about? So you think of it this way. What did he think about what we think about? And when you approach the scripture with this question, uh, is Jesus concerned about the mind? Is, does he have things to say? Did he have beliefs about what we think about? It is staggering what you find. When you ask the Gospels this question, and uh, you don't even have to go beyond the Gospels and a little bit of the book of Revelation to see Jesus' thoughts about our thoughts. He has many, and many uh, sermons could be developed on this. I'm just going to skim this just a little bit today, Uh, but I would challenge you to take a close look at the passages of Scripture that we're going to look at And to think about the reality that Jesus is very concerned about what we think about and what he believes about our thoughts is quite profound. It's interesting that from Jesus' birth till after Jesus rose from the dead, you can see this idea of the mind and of thoughts is a prominent idea. So uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 35, this is when Jesus is born and he's an infant and he is brought to the temple and he is presented at the temple, circumcised and presented there, which was the custom at the time. You see that there is a man named Simeon who, um, for lack of better words, performs this sort of baby dedication for young Mary and Joseph there, who are just following the rules, and they bring Jesus there. And this man has some very striking things to say about Jesus, this little infant. And verse 34 of Luke 2, "'Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, "'This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel.'" and a sign that will be spoken against, not for, but against. Can you imagine what Mary was thinking? So that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too, Mary. It's a striking prophetic word that he is giving over this little child, but it is um, something that he says, the thoughts of many hearts are going to be revealed, Mary, and even yours, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. This is when Jesus is an infant. And in the book of Revelation, chapter 2, Jesus post-resurrection, speaking to the church in Thyatira, and he has some very strong um, rebuke for some things going on in this church, and he says, then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you According to your deeds, he searches the heart. He searches the mind. So it is of great concern to Jesus what we think about. And you observe the culture now, and you see what's going on, and search your own mind and your own uh, heart. There is a discouragement in the air, and there is an anxiety. I mean, I know people who are saying, I don't even want to watch the news anymore. Because it's so negative. It's so discouraging. Every report is about the same thing over and over and over. It's like this dark cloud. And so people are saying, enough, enough, enough. So uh, I want to look at four different kinds of minds that Jesus has words about and beliefs about in the Gospels. And see if you find yourself in any of these And again, if you're putting uh, comments up there, we'll try and publish them as much as we can, all right? The first one is what I'll call the anxious mind, Jesus and the anxious mind. This is a famous passage of Scripture, but we don't often associate it this way that I'm about to hear. And this is in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, and he's going to talk about worry, and he's going to talk about anxiety. And that takes place right up here, doesn't it? And so here's what he says. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. In what way? Well, what you will eat or what you will drink about your body, what you will wear. So those are kind of the basic necessities. And he says, is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air, he says. They do not sow or uh, reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life so what he's doing there is he's saying the, the worry is not going to change anything. He's saying, look, let me give you an example. Look at these birds. Do they look worried to you? I mean, if you if you look out the window today, and I'm looking out the window from this Bible college, I don't see any birds right now, but I can tell you, like, they're not worried. <laughs> they're not worried like we're worried. Sure, you can see them running around doing their thing, and you can see them making their nests, but they're not storing away in barns. So they're not worried like we're, you know, the, the concern level is, is not the same. And so he's saying, look, God takes care of them, so don't you think he'll take care of you? It's like, Why are you worrying? Your worry is not going to change anything. Why do you worry about clothes? Look at the flowers of the field. Do they labor? Do they spin? Do they look worried to you? Yet I tell you that not even Solomon, King Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, very temporary, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry. What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things. In that context, the pagans would be the people who don't even believe. The the atheist, if you will, will run after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But here, this is what you do to deal with your worried mind, with your anxiety. This is what you need to do seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. So it's about the way God wants to do things, the way God sees things, and the righteousness of God. So God is concerned about your character. God is concerned about your priorities, his priorities becoming your priorities. You need to seek that first, and all these things will be given to you as well. So he's not saying it's bad to think about those things. What he's saying is your worry about these things is not going to help you. What you need to do is you need to put me first and you need to put my character first and you need to be concerned about that first and then you can deal with the rest. Do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble (laughs) of its own. Isn't that true? So the worried mind needs to be shifted a little bit where we say, okay, hold on a second here. What is the first thing that I need to be concerned about? Is it really all of this material stuff? Is it really, oh, I'm not sure, you know, I've got to go stand in line for five hours to take a, you know, a test to make sure that I'm negative because I got to have my Thing and I got to be with you know this pe- these people and this family and all that. There's nothing wrong with being concerned about that. But he's saying, what are you concerned with first? And the first thing is my kingdom, my righteousness. You want to worry, you can worry all you want, but it's not going to change anything. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Each day has enough worry of its own. The anxious mind, he's very concerned about this. And then we'll talk about the skeptical mind. And this you see quite a bit of in the Gospels, uh, especially from those who were quite skeptical about Jesus, his claims, and who he was. Example, uh, Luke chapter 5, and here uh, Jesus is going to do something in front of friend and foe. Uh, you've got Pharisees and teachers of the law in this whole mix. And they, they came from every village in uh, from Galilee in the north and Judea and Jerusalem in the south. And it, they want to see Jesus in action. And he's doing the miraculous. They want to see him do that, and he's doing it. And then you've, get the, you've got these guys, and they come with a man who's paralyzed. And they bring him on a mat and take him into the house. Where uh, uh, Jesus is to lay him, uh, lay the man before Jesus. There was a buzz there. If there's a problem, let me know and I'll switch to another mic. When they could f- uh, not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they come in through the roof. And uh, great faith these men have. They'll do anything to get the paralyzed man to Jesus and they ro- lower him through the tiles, the loose tiles in the roof, and they drop him right in the middle there and lower him there so that Jesus will do something. And the scripture says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven to this paralyzed man. So he doesn't say you're healed. He says, your sins are are forgiven and he does this intentionally because the Pharisees and the teachers of the law they start thinking to themselves notice thinking to themselves who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy who can forgive sins but God alone he can't do that he cannot say this to this man as if he's somehow god this man did nothing to him And yet he's claiming that his sins are forgiven as if he has some sort of divine authority to do so. He can't do that. But they're thinking those thoughts. Verse 22, Jesus knew what they were thinking. The skeptical mind towards him. Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? And then Jesus takes it further, and he says, which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? Obviously, they're both hard. (laughs) But if you're God, they're not hard. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And so he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And immediately he stands up in front of them. You can hear the gasp in the room, and he takes the mat, and he goes, and he's praising God, and everyone is stunned. They're amazed, and they give praise to God. They're filled with awe, and they say, we've seen remarkable things today. Look how Jesus challenges back the skeptical mind. Uh, he is not at all bothered by the fact that there's skeptics here. Uh, he It doesn't intimidate him. I think maybe it makes him a little sad. You can see in one translation, he says, why do you think these evil things in your hearts? And, but he challenges back, and he pushes back on that skeptical mind. And this is what Jesus does over and over again in the Gospels. When there's a skeptical approach toward him, he goes right back and he shows even further who he is. Luke chapter 6, you've got Jesus going through the grain fields and the disciples are picking heads of grain. And they rub, rub them in their hands and they eat the kernels. Uh-oh, it's a Sabbath. And the Pharisees see this. Why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? You see the skepticism. And Jesus answers them. And he gives the example of David from the Old Testament, how he entered the temple. uh, And, uh. Uh, could have been the tabernacle at that time. Anyway, he eats the consecrated uh, bread and um, uh, wasn't allowed to eat. Only the priests were allowed, and Jesus cites this example from the Old Testament. And he says, the Son of Man, speaking to himself, uh, about himself, is Lord of the Sabbath. Wow. Another Sabbath, he goes into the synagogue and he's teaching, and a man was there with a hand... That's shriveled. He had some type of dropsy or something wrong with it, with a hand, his right hand, and it's shriveled. It's the Sabbath. And the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, they're watching him, and they want to see if he's going to do something or attempt to do something to help this man on the Sabbath day. So they watch him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath, but Jesus knew what they were thinking. And said to the man with a shriveled hand, get up and stand in front of everyone. So the guy stands up there and he's got his hand, you know, shriveled, disabled, dropsy, whatever it is. And Jesus says to the little crowd there, and he says, I ask you, which is lawful to do on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? To save life or to destroy it? Look at this man. So he's going to make this man an example, an illustration to show the truth of God about the Sabbath. And so he looks around at them all, and he says to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretches it out, and he did so, and his hand is completely, miraculously restored. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were furious and began to discuss with one another how they might what they might do to Jesus. He knew their skeptical thoughts in verse 8, and he pushes it further, and he says, okay, I'm going to show you this. This is what you're thinking, and he pushes right back. And that's what Jesus does. Maybe you're skeptical toward him. Maybe you don't know if you can trust him. Uh, Maybe you don't believe that he is who he says he is. Let me tell you, he's not intimidated by that at all, and he'll push right back, and he'll reveal to you who he is. Uh, Matthew chapter 12, they bring a man who has a spiritual problem. This is, we're told, a demon-possessed man who's also got physical problems. He's blind and he's mute, so he's a mess. He's he's blind, he's mute, he's got demon issues. Jesus heals him so that he could both talk and see. All the people are astonished, and they say, could this be the son of David? In other words, is this the Messiah that we've been waiting for? Pharisees, again, they hear this skeptics. It is only by Beelzebul... Ooh, that's, a, that's a name they're pulling out for the, uh, the Satan, the devil, uh, the prince of demons that this fellow drives out demons. So he's doing this magic, this sorcery by dark powers. That's what's going on here. And Jesus, verse 25, knew their thoughts. There it is again. He knows of their skepticism. And he says, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined. So what are you saying? This nonsense. Why would Satan drive out Satan? Every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan's driving himself out, his kingdom is ruined. He can't stand. But if it's by the Spirit of God. That I drive out demons then the kingdom of God has come to you. Remember, we'll talk about, oh, a buzz again. Okay, we'll talk about the Spirit of God on uh, Wednesday night. But you see how Jesus again pushes back. So uh, maybe your mind is skeptical toward him. Uh, there is many a skeptic who have pursued Jesus with honesty even while retaining their skepticism and have ended up turning the other way and become uh, followers of Jesus even in their skeptical moments, okay? Uh, Next, we have another example here, and this would be the mind of pride, Uh, The proud mind in Luke chapter 9. So verse 46, an argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. So, you know, you've got uh, these 12 and they're saying, hey, who's who's going to be the greatest maybe in, when, the, when the whole thing ends and when the kingdom comes and when the, the end of the world comes, like who's going to be number one and who's going to be number two and who's going to be, you know, next to Jesus and so on. And they're having this kind of process. And so Jesus says to them, uh, Jesus, knowing their thoughts, verse 47, he takes a little child who had, and he had him stand next to him. So you've got this pride thing going on, and Jesus says, Okay, I'm going to, I'm going to teach these people something. He takes a little child, and he says to them, Whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me, for it is the one who is least among you who is the greatest. So you want to be great? You need to lose your pride. You need to humble yourself If you want to be great, you guys are seeing this all wrong. You've got proud minds. And what Jesus is looking for is humility like this little child that you see in front of you. This is the mind of pride. And finally, we'll close uh, with this one. This is, I'll call this the mind, uh, the sinful mind from uh, Mark chapter seven. Uh, As an example, you can find this in other places as well. And they're having a um, a conversation with Jesus again.
1: Just give us one second. All right. Oh,
0: I think it's. Okay, ah, much better. Let there be sound. Okay, so this is the last one, and this is Jesus and the sinful mind. And here you have another religious debate. A little bit of skepticism here as well, and the Pharisees are saying, "Hey, you know, your disciples are washing hands the wrong way, and they're not doing it. And they're supposed to be ceremonially clean; they're not clean, and they're taking issues with this." And so Jesus again pushes back. You can read the whole thing in Mark chapter seven. But the argument is uh, they're they're looking at the outside, and Jesus is focused on the inside on what's going on inside of a person so he says um, uh, verse 14 uh, listen to me everyone understand this nothing outside a man can make him unclean by going into him you're not spiritually unclean by what you eat is what he's saying it's what comes out of a man that makes him unclean And then the disciples ask him later on, what do you mean by this? And Jesus is quite direct with them. We've looked at this before, and he says, are you so dull? Don't you see that nothing that enters a man from the outside can make him unclean? For it doesn't go into his heart, but it goes into his stomach and then out of his body. And Mark makes a comment, in saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. So he's saying this business of all these kosher and dietary laws that we've been following for years and years and years, these are the external things. This has nothing to do with a man's character. This has nothing to do with whether they're spiritually clean or unclean. It's what comes out of the person that determines that. And here he says, what comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, on the inside, comes what? Out of men's hearts come evil thoughts. No microphone likes me today, okay. Out of man's hearts come evil thoughts. It's a really, goes by really fast, but it's really curious. As if to say that deeper than the thoughts of a person is the heart of the person. And if the heart of the person is corrupted, then that's going to corrupt their thoughts. It's going to cause their thoughts to be evil. Uh, evil thoughts, uh, sexual immorality, he says, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, folly, names a litany of of sins there. And he says, these things come out of a man. They come from the inside of the person. They're the things that make the person unclean. And it's amazing that he even puts thoughts in there. So there's something deeper than the thoughts of the person and that is the heart of the person. And if that mind is a sinful mind, if that mind is constantly um, resting on evil thoughts, if that mind is just absorbed by that, then that Jesus is saying there's a problem deeper. There's a heart problem that has led to that, and the heart of that person is corrupted, and the heart needs to be changed. And this is why Jesus talks about this whole thing of Him coming and Him Uh, setting people free from sin and him dying on the cross and him being raised from the dead and him sending the Holy Spirit and the whole idea of being born again of the spirit. It's something that takes place on the inside of the person that changes the very heart of the person. And that will also change the mind of the person. So whether it's the anxious mind or the skeptical mind or the proud mind or the sinful mind, Jesus is very concerned about this. This is um, a, all over the Gospels. I'm just doing a surface look here. But if you read them looking for the answer to this question, you'll be really surprised what you find. And that's to say nothing of Paul and Peter and James and so much discussion in the Scripture about what goes on in between your ears. So Jesus indeed thinks about what you think about. And he is very concerned about that. And he wants our minds, his especially at this time, to be focused on him and him first. And when you do that, and when you put him first, and when he's got first placed in your head and in your heart, you're going to find your anxiety is going to be lessened. You're going to find your skepticism will be uh, challenged, and Jesus will take you deeper toward himself. You're going to find your pride will turn to humility. You're going to find that the sinful thoughts are going to start to change and become more and more holy. Let's pray together. And Simon, if you want to come to uh, the guitar and go ahead and play and sing, whatever you want to do as we close out today. Father, we thank you and we praise you and we worship you. Uh, We're so thankful that Lord, we can turn to you at any time uh, you accept us, uh, you see us, you know us, you know the things that we think, you know the, the the very dreams that we dream, all of these things. And so I pray today for each person who's watching uh, live now, those who are going to watch, those who are going to listen later, I pray you would speak to each heart. And uh, Lord, on a, on a simple Uh, a simple boxing day with a little skeleton crew here in the Bible College. By your spirit, you would speak to each heart. And Lord, we would learn to put you first and foremost in our lives. We pray in Jesus name. Amen. And thank you so much simon and everyone for tuning in today and um come and uh and jump online on 7 p.m on wednesday night uh through zoom and we'll talk about the person of the holy spirit his activity in our lives you probably got nowhere else to go so it's only one hour wednesday from seven to eight on zoom i will send out the link later on god bless you enjoy your boxing day today